Today is the last installment of our series called House in Order. And this series, we've been talking about prioritizing our life, prioritizing our time, our money, and our relationships. And the verse, the, the phrase uh, uh, house in order comes from a passage in the Old Testament where there was a king, the king Hezekiah, he was on his deathbed, and, and one of the prophets came to him and said, hey, king, you're not going to make it. You're, you're not going to last much longer. So you've got to get your house in order um, and prepare yourself for when you die. And what he was saying is you need to get your affairs in order. You need to get your relationships in order. And the last bit of time that you have, you need to make sure that you're using that in a way that um, is, is bringing glory to God and fulfilling your purpose because uh, you don't have much time left. And so this series, we said, well, what if we, what if we did this instead of waiting until we had like two weeks to live and having a prophet come and say, hey, man, get it together. What if we just start to put our house in order now in our time, money, and relationships? What kind of a life would we experience? Uh, and so last week we talked about how do we orient our life in our relationships, our relational life? How do we get that oriented? How do we live in a way that brings glory to God in our relationships? The week before that, we were talking about our schedule and our calendar and our time. How do we get our life in order in that way? And today we're going to talk about how do we order our life, our financial life, in a way that brings honor and glory and is pleasing to God. So let me start by taking an informal poll. How many of you get nervous talking about finances or money? How, how many of you, that conversation makes you nervous? Anybody? Yeah, a couple people, a couple people, yeah. How many of you get nervous when a preacher starts to talk about money? Come on. <laughs> yes. Well, here's, I, I can set your mind at ease because here's what we're going to do today. We're going to open the scriptures and we're going to explore what the biblical principles are about getting your house in order financially. And it's really, it, it, the, the focus of the scripture is, is for you to experience a life that is more productive, that is more joyful, that is more content, that is more satisfying. Because you, when you get your financial house in order, your life is better. Your life is better when your financial house is in order. I don't know if uh, any of you saw this week um, uh, the prolific, outspoken artist Kanye West tweeted... Uh, that he was $53 million in personal debt. Did anybody see that? And um, he then tweeted to Mark Zuckerberg. He said, hey, man, why don't you loan me a, a billion dollars, um, and then I'll get, you know, I, I'll get my ideas out there rolling, right? And then somebody, the late-night talk show host had a, had a ball with this because what somebody then tweeted, they said, if you're going to ask Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, for a billion dollars, you probably shouldn't do it on Twitter. You might want to do that on Facebook. Um, that's a good point. And I was thinking about it. I said, man, how, how's Kanye $53 million in debt? How's that happen? And then I remembered who he's married to. And I'm like, oh, that's where the $53 million went. If you just return a couple of those furs, man, that's a couple hundred grand each. You're, you'd be out of debt in no time. Um, <laughs> I'm just messing. I'm just messing. Um, a lot of people ribbed, you know, uh, uh, Kanye and gave, gave him some grief because he's lavish lifestyle and all this. But the reality is all of us, he's just a larger than life version of most of us. Most of us struggle with our own financial house. Most of us struggle to figure out how we're supposed to relate to the finances that we've been given to manage in our life. 
Um, my personal story is I've, I've had different views and different attitudes about finances over, the time, over my life. When I was younger, my view was basically if it comes in, it should just go back out. Um, every dollar that came and then maybe a few dollars that didn't come also went out. Um, that didn't work out particularly well for me. So, uh, probably in my maybe late twenties, I shifted gears and I became one of these guys where when the money came in, it just stayed in and I wouldn't, I was a penny pincher. I wouldn't let, I wouldn't spend any money. And I, I would get really nervous if my bank account was less than a certain amount. And, uh, I became super, super tight with it. And then something happened. Um, I got married. And so um, that was a little shift for me. And my wife and I actually, at the very beginning, right before, right as we were getting married, we started realizing we have different philosophies about money. We have different approaches. We have different ideas. And we're going to have to figure out how to relate to money as a family because, you know, we argued about some things in our relationship, but these arguments were the most emotional and the most intense. Um, and they would happen every month when we would like get to the end of the month and be like, where's the money? Um, and, and so we would have these intense conversations. Finally, we actually went, and I did the training with, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Dave Ramsey. It's Financial Peace University. Many people have, have heard it. And so we, we moved into that realm. We adopted his approach. And basically what we said, we're going to start by giving. So we're going to tithe. We're going to give 10% of our resources to the church. Then we're going to save 10%. And then we're going to live on the rest. So that no matter how much money we make, that's going to be our structure for the way we structure our life. And since then, and then we also personally moved to a, a cash base, um, a cash base instead of using cards all the time. Um, and that was extremely helpful for us as a family. We got, you know, we were deep in debt. We got almost, you know, almost all the way out of debt. We're still knocking the rest of it out. Um, and we don't have these arguments anymore because we're, we've got our house in order. We've got our mind together. We're synced up. We're locked in together. And we said, we're going to follow God's principles about money. And it's brought peace into our life. It's made us more productive. It's made us happier. It's made us more content. Uh, and, and, um, you know, we don't fight every month at the end of the month. We just, you know, we just have a new month. So we're not unique in this. Um, I think families and people all around, especially in the United States, we struggle with trying to understand our relationship with money. Uh, there's some polling data that shows that 27% of U.S. families have no savings at all. Um, the average credit card debt for people that are carrying a balance in the U.S. is 15270 bucks per household. Um, Americans worry about money more than anything else. Money is a huge deal. Uh, 59% of 18 to 29-year-olds are very or moderately worried about their financial outlook. That's 59%. 77% of 30 to 49-year-olds are very or moderately worried about money. Am I going to have enough money to pay my bills? Am I going to have enough money to retire? Am I going to have enough money to take my family on a vacation? People are worried about money because it's such, a, it's such an important part of our life. And so this information, this data shows us that we need help getting our financial house in order. Most of us need some help 
getting our financial house in order. So if you're here today and you're not a Jesus follower, you're just kind of checking it out. And maybe one of the reasons you're not a Jesus follower is because you're jaded and cynical about the way churches have approached money and finance. You've sat up too late watching the late night talk show hosts um, that uh, I'll I'll talk about in a few minutes. Um, And you thought, you know what, I just I'm, I'm I'm cynical about this. I'm jaded about it. I don't want anything to do with this. Hang with us because the scripture gives us some really powerful and deep and penetrating principles about how to order our finances. Um, If you are a Jesus follower and you're a Christian, this is hugely important to you because your connection to money, your relationship to money profoundly impacts your relationship with God. Uh, because money is so important for your basic survival. In fact, Jesus says that money, our relationship with money, is in direct competition with our relationship with God. There's a competition in, this, in the way that we relate to God versus money. In fact, he says in Matthew, he says, nobody can serve two masters. You're either going to love the one and hate the other, or you're going to be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he says, in case you don't know what I'm talking about, he says, nobody can serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, I'm a visual person, so I want to I see what this looks like, right? And I think what he's saying here is, here's you, and then you have a choice. You can either serve money or you can serve God, but you cannot serve both. You cannot serve both God and money. So this makes me wonder, like, okay, so I can't just break up with money, right? I mean, I mean, I could. Some people that Jesus called out, he said, I want you to give up all your money and follow me. Um, and if he said that to me, I pray that I would say, okay, let's do that. Um, my wife and I would have an argument probably about that, wouldn't we, hon? But uh, uh, no, but, but if, we're not, if we're not to serve money, then what kind of a relationship do we have with money? How does... How do we orient ourselves? What does that dynamic look like for us? And I think if you look at all the scriptures and you put them together, it looks something like this. Money serves you as you serve God. Money is in the service of you as you are in the service of God. In other words, you are under the authority of God, and the resources that God has put in your life are under your authority. You control them, they don't control you. A lot of people are controlled by money, either by making it because they have, or, you know, they, they're controlled because they have not enough of it, or they're controlled because they have too much of it, and they're obsessed with it, and they're freaked out by it. Uh, God is saying, look, the finances and resources, these are just tools. These are implements in your hand, even as you are an implement in my hand. So the flow of, of the relationship between us and money should be that Finances and resources and money serve us as we serve God. So how do we do that? What does that look like? What are the biblical principles in place that show us how to do this? Um, There are several uh, financial biblical principles in the word that are extremely helpful to us. 
Um, there's a, a biblical principle of working hard. There's a biblical principle of saving. There's a biblical principle of, of investing. But the, the, the main one, especially for followers of Jesus, one of the core tenets of the faith, one of the core principles about how do we relate with money, how do we create a relationship with money where it serves us, is the principle of the tithe. Uh, and this is, a, this is a principle, not a law for Christians, but it's a principle that has been in place for, um, you know, thousands of years. Uh, and I know that when, a, a lot of times, if you've been in church, you'll, you will have heard teaching on tithes, and people will have different reactions to it. What is a tithe? Some people, some people are, cur- the, the reaction is curiosity. Like you're not, you, you've heard that word thrown around in church. You don't know what it means. Other people, the reaction is mortification. You go, oh my gosh, oh, oh no, I've, I brought a friend and uh, we're going to talk about money and I'm totally freaked out. Other people, it's a defensive response that you have and you say, hey, you know, I, I, I don't want to hear about this. This is something where I'm not ready to open up my life to. And then another response is a response of gratitude. Those of, those of you who have already explored the principle of the tithe, you've already made it a part of your life, those of you who are in that position are saying, hey, I'm really glad that this is being talked about because this has been a blessing in my life. This has empowered my life, and I, I'm hopeful that it will empower other people's lives. So we have this principle of the tithe. Uh, we see it in Leviticus 27. Um, and so let's start with what is it? Uh, the word tithe is a Hebrew word that just means tenth. So when you see it in Scripture, it, it, you could say the word tithe, and you could replace it with the word tenth. It says a tithe or a tenth of everything from the Lord, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It says it is holy to the Lord. So there's a couple things to note here. One is this practice of tithing, this principle of tithing, has been around long before Leviticus, about 400 years before this passage was written. Uh, in Genesis, there's a description of Abraham who went out into a battle, won the battle, took the spoils of the battle, and brought a tithe or 10% of what he uh, amassed or what he accrued to the temple. And he gave it in, a, in an offering of thanksgiving and gratitude to God. And so we've seen the principle play out. Then it was codified here in Leviticus where God was telling the Israelites, this is what I want you to do. And the second thing to note is what the use of it was. Um, Tithe throughout the scripture has always been used to fulfill God's redemptive mission on the earth. Now, that's not in your notes, but that's a really important concept to get. The use of the tithe throughout scripture has always been used to fulfill God's redemptive purpose on the earth. In other words, tithes were brought into the, 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 the temple uh, so that people could learn about the word of God, so that people could uh, grow in their understanding of God, so that the poor could be taken care of, so that there could be celebrations and feasts where bro- uh, brothers and sisters and, and, and believers and followers of God would come together and celebrate together. So the tithe throughout history was used to redeem God's people, to be used for that mission, to bring God's redemptive mission to the earth all the way through scripture. And in the Old Testament, it was done through the temple. And then in the New Testament, it's done through the church. But the problem is the church struggles sometimes with trying to uh, discuss this principle or, try to, or, or trying to um, convey this principle. And they fall off in different you know, extremes. 
Uh, one, one way that it's taught that is wrong is that it's taught from a needs-based. People will say, look, you've you got to bring your tithe to church because God needs it. The church needs it in order to survive. Let me, let me dispel that right now. God does not need. Anyth- anytime you start a sentence that, where that says God needs, the rest of the sentence is wrong. God does not need anything. God possesses everything. God owns everything. So there's ne- there aren't scriptures where it says, hey, by the way, God needs you to X. That's not in the Bible because God is not a God of need. God does not operate in an economy of scarcity. God operates in, a, in, a, in an economy of abundance. Everything, everything is his. Uh, and so there's never a point where there's a need from God. In fact, tithing is not need-based. It's not need-based. It's an acknowledgement of your role as God's trustee. Now, I want to I parse this out for you. Uh, tithing is not based on need. It is an acknowledgement of your role as God's trustee. I want to show you something that, I, that I've been carrying around for a long time. This is, I don't know if you can see it. This is a silver dollar that uh, I've had in my possession for, I don't know, a long time. Ten years, maybe 15, 20, I don't know, a long time. This silver dollar was minted in 1881. Uh, I wasn't born yet um, in 1881. I think this probably predates most people here. Uh, I'm just messing with you. Uh, this, this silver coin has been... <laughs> Craig just pointed to his wife. Craig Wagner just... Po- oh, his sister. Okay, good. Woo! It was going to get hot in here. Um, this silver coin is in my possession, okay? From a legal standpoint, I own, I own this coin, right? But this coin was around a lot longer than I've been around. This coin has passed through a lot of hands. A lot of people have possessed this coin. A lot of people have had legal ownership of this coin. But before this coin was ever minted, before it was ever pressed, it was in the ground. It was silver before it had been mined. Before human beings existed on the earth, this silver existed. It has always existed, and this silver will exist if the world ended today and there were no more human beings on the planet. This silver would still be here. This predates us, and this postdates us. This has been in the possession of a lot of people, but nobody from a spiritual standpoint has ever actually owned it. It's always belonged to God. A lot of us have managed it. It has been in our possession. We've had control and custody of this coin, but this has never been our coin. No one has ever owned this from a spiritual standpoint. God has populated the earth with people to manage the stuff that he put on the earth, but none of that stuff belongs to the people with whom he populated the earth. We're here as his trustees, not not as owners. This earth does not belong to us. Nothing on this earth belongs to us. Nothing that we believe we own, own, we don't own it. We are managing the stuff that God has put into our possession. If you're a, a money manager, I don't know if you've, or if you've met a money manager or some, a financial advisor, when you give them custody and control of your money, they're not at liberty to do whatever they want with it. They are only to do those things that you've directed them to do with your money based upon your goals and your values. 
When God puts resources into our hands, it's really that, that those resources are to serve us as we serve him. So, so this doesn't belong to us. So when somebody says God needs your money, you need to, you need to just ignore that, right? In fact, God wants this to be so clear that in the, in the book of Psalms, he says this, this is like the most boss verse in the Bible. God says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. He said, for every animal of the forest is mine, is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains, in the mountains, and the insects in the field are mine. I love this line. He says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world is mine and all that's in it. You can't do anything for me. I'm covered. I'm not even going to tell you if I'm hungry because everything already belongs to me. This, and, and he was talking about this in, in the context of sacrificing to God. He said, look, I'm not asking you for stuff because I need stuff. I don't need anything from you. I've already got everything. This is for you. This is for you to learn how to manage the stuff that I've given you. Uh, Jesus draws this out really beautifully in Matthew 25. In this parable, and we mentioned this at the intro of this series, Jesus said the kingdom of God will be like a man going on a journey. In this parable, the man going on a journey is God. A man going on a journey who called his servants, that's us, and entrusted them with his property. So the parable goes on to talk about he gave one man one bag of gold, one man two bags of gold, and one man five bags of gold. But throughout the entire scripture, it's always his property. It's always his gold. And he's saying, look, I'm, I'm entrusting this to you to do with it what you will. You can either invest it, you can hoard it, you can squander it, or you can use it towards the mission that I put you on earth to accomplish. This is, I, I, and, and then he comes back at the end of the parable to see how you've managed his money, not yours. Um, so when we think about our resources, and this is a huge spiritual and mental shift that has to happen, but it's, it's, it's spiritual reality. The spiritual reality of life is that you do not own anything. You are a trustee. You're a manager. You are an agent. You are a steward of God's stuff. So when we think about our stuff, we have to remember we're just stewarding his stuff. The second point about the tithe is this. Tithing is not a requirement. It is an act of partnership with Christ's mission on the earth. So it's not a requirement. If, if you get if somebody, you know, guilting you into tithing uh, or twisting your arm or hammering you or, or convicting you about tithing or, or coming on to you in a strong way, this is why people are repelled by it because they've been, they've been hammered by it, right? That's not what the scripture teaches. Tithing is an act of partnership. Um, I, I don't know if you ever watched the show Shark Tank. Uh, I like this show. In this show, these entrepreneurs come and they sit in the tank in front of these billionaires and they pitch their ideas. They say, hey, I've, I've, got a, I've got an idea for a, uh, a business. And these billionaires then look at the, they listen and they listen to the pitch. And then they decide, do I want to invest in this concept? Do I want to partner with you? Do I want to put some finances into this? And then I'm a partner with you. That means our visions are aligned. That means our desires are aligned. That means our goals are aligned because I've become a partner with you in this particular enterprise. 
When you are tithing to God through his church, you are partnering with that church to fulfill the mission of that church. You're to fulfill the mission of God through that church. You become a partner in that. You're not just giving money to a church. When I give money to any uh, nonprofit agency or any kind of uh, group, any kind of organization, what I'm doing is I'm saying I believe in the vision of this thing, and I want to partner with it to fulfill its mission, right? Uh, we got an email probably two weeks ago uh, from a pastor out in uh, St. Charles at Calvary Church, uh, Pastor Terry Anderson, uh, uh, Sanderson. And he emailed and said, you know, I, I, we've been corresponding. Somebody had told him about U City Family Church. And he emailed uh, when he found out that we were getting the family center. And he said, hey, I just, we just believe in what you guys are doing. We're out here in St. Charles. You guys are right there in the loop. Like, you're, you're, in the, you're in the mix, man. You guys are bringing together people from all different walks of life. And we just love what's going on down there. He said, We're gonna, we want to just give you guys $5,000 for your church. I mean, just, and yeah, just $5,000. He said, he said, look, I I know it's not much. And I I was like, well, it's actually kind of a lot, actually. Um, I don't know what your church budget is, but it's kind of a lot of money, actually. Um, But I didn't tell him that. I was like, no, it's not really that much. But um, no, I didn't do that. Because he said, look, we believe in the vision and the mission of what you are doing. Here's the way I feel about U City Family Church. I believe in the mission of this church. I believe, and, and, and this is where we invite people to tithe. This is where we invite people to give to the church. Because what you're saying is, I believe in helping people take the next step on their spiritual journey. I believe in bringing people together in St. Louis, a, 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 a city that is divided along racial and socioeconomic lines. I believe in creating an environment where white people and black people and Asian people and Hispanic people and rich people and poor people and PhDs and GEDs can come together and worship God together. I believe in that mission. I believe in standing up for what's right. I believe in creating environments where kids can learn about Jesus. I I, I believe in fighting injustice. I believe in breaking the strongholds of bigotry and racism. I believe in creating an environment where addiction can be broken, where marriages can be restored, where hearts can be healed. I believe in that. So I partner with that mission through my giving, through my tithes. I want to be a part of that. That's what partner means. I am a part of that. So it's not a requirement. If you're doing it out of requirement, what will happen is you will be embittered by it and you will be um you'll get uh gnarly is the word that comes to mind you'll get you'll you'll just get a weird vibe you'll get a weird you'll get a weird attitude and so if you're giving out of ingratitude just it's better for you spiritually not to it's just better for you um and and it's better for everyone actually so um but if you want to partner with something you believe in that's that's when you say look i want to be a part of this tithing is a partnership it's not a requirement. By the way, we were going to, I had asked back in November, hey, we need to raise, not we need, let me, let me correct that. Uh, um, it would be helpful if we raised uh, $40,000 to offset some of the cost of the family center. And our goal was to do that by the end of April, I think. So by the beginning of May, that has done, that has been done and gone, guys. That was done and gone. Um, there are still people who have pledges that are still fulfilling that. So we're over, over the amount. So praise God for that. Um, 
But that's what it means to, to, to partner. That's what tithing means. It means I want to partner with the thing that I'm supporting. Um, Jesus said it like this. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's, it's not a matter of, hey, I'm, I'm trying to assuage my guilt. I'm just trying to throw a little cash at something. I saw uh, a, um, an interview with a guy, Phil Helmuth. He's a, he's a poker player, uh, like a professional poker player. And he lost $500,000 in one game against a guy named Phil Ivey in this poker match. And they said, well, what did you do, Phil, when, you know, when, you, when you lost? He said, the first thing I, went, I did is I went home and I wrote a check for $50,000 to Doctors Without Borders. He said, I needed to like, assuage my guilt for, for losing so much money by giving to a nonprofit. Um, that's, not, that's not what we're talking about. This is not about like, you know, I just, I feel bad about something. I just need to get it. I want to I get it out of my sight. It's saying, hey, I believe in this, and I want to pour myself into this with my time, my resources, my skills, my abilities. I believe in it. I want to partner. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then this is the third, this is the third error in teaching about tithing. And this is the one I think that's probably the most damaging or among the most damaging ones. And, and that is when, you think of, when people think of tithing as a get-rich-quick scheme. Um, and this is why... I think this is really why some churches just don't talk about tithing um, because it, it is too close to aligning with some crazy talk, some wacky talk about tithing that is not what we are talking about. So tithing is not a formula for financial gain, all right? But it is a, me- it is a means of experiencing God's blessing in your life. Now, I remember before I was a Christian, I was, you know, I, I was would sit up and, and watch TV, and every once in a while, you'd get a late-night preacher on TV who would do the thing, and you know what I'm talking about. It'd be like, if you just plant that $1,000 seed in my ministry, your diabetes will just go away right now. And I just remember thinking, like, this is such a hustle, man. This is such a con. This is so wrong. This is just doesn't, you know, it, it's not right to, it, it's not right to just think of God as a transactional ATM machine where I can plug in a quarter and pull out a dollar bill. That, that's serving, that's using God to serve money. That's worshiping money at the service of God. And, and God's saying, no, worship me, use money, but worship me. So that kind of philosophy is actually idolatry. That's when you start to, you think, you begin to think of God as a means toward your financial end. You start to think of God as like, I want God to make me rich. Um, Now, God wants us to be blessed. He wants us to have a life of abundance. But this is not a transactional kind of arrangement. Um, My grandfather was one of the most generous men in the world, one of the best Christians I've ever met in my life, and one of the richest, spiritually richest human beings I've ever known. But he lived in a trailer, in a trailer park. Okay, he wasn't wealthy. He was not a he was not a, a uh, he was not a multimillionaire. He was rich, but he wasn't financially well off. So you know, so it's de- this, this concept is demonstrably false. When you give money to God, it doesn't automatically make you rich. It doesn't mean God's going to give you that dollar back and then He's going to add seven on top of that. And by the way, you know your emphysema is also going to go away. It's not it's not that kind of a thing. So I want to make sure that that's not what you're hearing. And I think I've made that clear. Have I made that clear? 
Um, but there is a blessing that accompanies generosity. When you give, it's an inherent, built-in blessing that, that you experience and that you derive through your act of giving. And the, the crazy thing about this is this is a universal principle. It applies when you're not even doing it for Jesus. When you are a generous person, you experience you experience blessing in your life. Um, the, the psalmist says it like this. He says, or Proverbs, rather. It says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another person withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. It says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. So this is a biblical principle that just says, when you pour out, you will be filled up. Jesus said it like this, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Luke 6, 3, 8. And then the most famous tithing scripture uh, of all is in Malachi. And it says this, bring the whole tenth, bring the whole tithe, the whole tenth of your income into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. I think for a, a, an allegory for that would be if you're, experiencing spiritual sustenance, nourishment in a church. It's because people are supporting that church. Um, test me. This is, the por- this is the point. He says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. God is saying, and this is the only time in the scripture where God says, test me. And I think he says this because this is one of those areas where you know, that, that's why Jesus says the relationship you have with money is in direct competition with the relationship that you have with God because it's such an important aspect of your life. Your survival, your shelter, your clothing, everything is tied into money. And, and Malachi is saying, test me in this. T- see if, if you aren't going to experience God's blessing in your life when you open up your heart and orient your life and put your house in order financially and give out of the goodness and out of the gratitude of your heart. Now, I want to start to wrap this up with this. As a church, from day one, since we started, we have always been a tithing church. From the very beginning, our church has given away 10% of the, of the uh, uh, tithes and offerings that were given to the church. Um, and we, we believe in this principle. Again, we don't believe it's a law or a requirement, but we, we believe in the principle. And so we've done it from the beginning. And... I wouldn't, you know, I would never, ever dream of doing it differently. And every church planner that I ever talk to, if they say, hey, you know, what, what makes you guys, like, what, what are you guys doing that you think is working really well, you know? And I say, well, there's, you got to be a really great preacher like me. And then, then every, no, that's not what I say. I say, look, man, you guys need to, you guys need to have a mission and you need to, you need to be generous. You guys need to tithe as a church because when you do that, you're creating you're creating an environment in the hearts of the people that are coming that, are, that is establishing what this is all about. None of this belongs to us. We're trustees with God's stuff. Um, last year, 2015, we gave away about $30,000 to different nonprofit organizations and missions work. We fed the poor. We, we clothed the poor. We helped to plant churches. Uh, we provided legal services for people. We did. We, you know, uh, mental health services for folks, um, missionaries, just like across the board. And at the end of it, we, we have our scheduled giving. And then we said, uh, we, we actually had a little bit extra. 
And so we were like, all right, well, we've got to find a, a slot for this. Uh, one of the, the great missions that we believe in here is that one of the great mission fields in our community is right up the street in the U City School District uh, at the high school. And so we have been talking for probably a year now about launching a group called Young Life. Um, and Young Life is a, uh, a group that goes into schools, and some of you are familiar with it, and you make disciples, you, 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 give, you present Jesus to kids who don't know Jesus. Um, they, they're not really pursuing the church kids. They're pursuing the kids that don't know anything about Jesus, and they're building discipleship and mentorship with them. So we had a little bit of money left over, and we said we want to help get this Young Life group started. So we're going to, if, if Carissa, is Carissa Walton in here? Carissa, come up here just for a minute. Carissa is heading up our Young Life Committee. Uh, and they are putting a team together to go meet with uh, Principal Macklin over at the school and launch this um, Young Life program where they're reaching out to all the students there. And so we just wanted to present, this is a check. It's not much, but it's $3,000. Um, and that's kind of a lot. Um, to Young Life to do the work of God right here in our city. Um, this, is, this is the kind of blessing that we get to be as a church. This, to me, is a blessing. I just had a, I'm just feeling blessed right now. Krista, do you, <laughs> do you want to tell us anything? Um, I just wanted to say, as being a part of the committee and meeting for the last several months to see this get launched, um, just at our last meeting a couple weeks ago, we were talking about how we need to have some sort of budget, and it's not going to be huge, but just to be able to do some of the ministry things throughout the week, and, you know, it's like, all right, we need to start this, and then just, you know, this past week, Brent called me to let me know um, about this gift, and I just was so blessed, and so I just wanted to say, just give a sincere thanks, um, thank you to each of you that um, are giving towards this church because this church is giving out and wants to reach students and people that don't know a thing about Jesus and how to follow him. And um, this is going to be a huge impact, um, getting Young Life started. So um, just thank you. Um, and also, um, we still do have a need for committee members. Um, so this is people that aren't necessarily weekly engaging with students, but just sort of want to be a part of backing that. And um, if you are at all interested in being a part, please uh, talk to me. I'd love to tell you more. So thank you. Thank you, Carissa. I, I, lo- I love, this is my favorite part about you, City Family Church. My favorite part um, is, is that we are a church that really believes in the mission and we get behind it and we go for it, man. We do it. Um, and we can only do it because of you guys and because of, uh, of your partnership and your stake. Um, so here's what I want to challenge you with today. Uh, I want to challenge you with the Malachi challenge. If you, are, if you have nev- never tithed and you are not a tither, you're not a person who gives 10%. And, and if you're a visitor here, if you're a guest here today, this, this, this is information for you. Um, we are not asking you to do this. But if this is your church home, then I want to challenge you to tithe. I want to challenge you to give 10% of your income through the church to God and to the work of his mission in St. Louis and around the world. And here's what we're going to do. If if you do this and you haven't done this and you say, okay, I want to try this, we're going to do it. It's going to be a 90-day challenge, okay, March, April, May. If at the end, 
of that 90 days, you say, I'm going to tithe and you tithe. And at the end of that 90 days, you say, hey, man, I tested God and it didn't work out. I, I am not, this is, I'm not blessed. I'm not experiencing uh, God's peace in my life. My financial house is not getting in order. I'm not, it didn't, it wasn't good. I tested it and it wasn't good. We will write you a check and give you the entirety of the amount that you gave for those three months. We'll just give it back to you. All right. We'll give it straight back to you. You guys are looking at me with like stunned expressions. Even. We will do that. If you have never tithed and you want to get and you want to try it, try it. March, April, May. And if you if you, at, the, at the end of May, you say this. Uh, no, we tested God and God let us down. We'll just write you a check. We'll look out, look up how much you gave and give it right back. That's how much we believe in this principle. So that's number one. Number two, if you are a person that's struggling financially and you're in a difficult bind or you're in a difficult situation, let somebody know. You can let us know. Let us know on a connection card. We have resources. We have books. We have, uh, we have, there are financial people in our congregation who will sit down and help you build a budget. Uh, we have um, uh, Amy Dunn does uh, career counseling and is providing that uh, as a service to our church. Uh, we just, we, we will, we want to help you get your financial house in order. We are not here to try to, you know, the church, that's the problem with the, the prosperity thing is that you end up fleecing people. This is not that. This is where we want to help you grow financially. We want you to experience financial peace in your life. And then the third challenge, you may be saying, some of you are saying, hey, I've been doing this. I've been doing this faithfully all my life. I'm a Christian. I've been tithing. I learned this a long time ago. I praise God for you. Uh, that was something that we started 10 years or so or nine years or so ago as a family. And it has been a huge blessing to us. So if you are a person that already does this, share your experience with other people. Let them know. And I don't mean toot your own horn. I mean that when, a, when an opportunity comes up in a life group or on your team or you're around other brothers or sisters and this you know, question arises, let them know. Say, here's what we do. Here's how this happened with us. Here's what we've experienced as a result of it. Um, so I want to invite you to, to share that. Um, bottom line is this. God doesn't need or want anything from you, but he does want something for you. He knows that you will be more joyful, more productive, more powerful, more at peace, more content, less anxious, less worried, less troubled. If you will follow him, and follow his principles in the area of finances. Because as a loving father, he wants the best for you. So here's my challenge. Serve him. Honor him. Love him. And invite him into your life to help you put your house in order. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you. Amen. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you for these truths that can be Difficult and challenging for some, but they're so uh, liberating and, and peace-giving and peace-bringing and life-giving uh, to, to all of us. When we learn to adopt your ways and we learn to incorporate your principles into our lives, 